It's time for Around the Ozark Sports Scene, brought to you by Fast Break Sports, the largest selection of cards and card supplies in southwest Missouri. Now here's your host, Scott Perrier. Welcome to Around the Ozark Sports Scene. I am Scott Perrier. I want to thank you again for listening to our podcast this week. Got a guest taking a little different turn today. We're going to talk uh, sports injuries with Dr. Heath Malusian. But first, we always start off with our look ahead to what to watch in the Ozark sports scene this week, and it's finally here, Super Bowl week. Of course, the game will kick off Sunday around 5.30 p.m. You can catch it on TV, or you can listen to it here on 104.7 The Cave at the part of the Midwest Family Stations. But it's the Kansas City Chiefs, San Francisco 49ers, live from Las Vegas. Of course, that'll be preceded by seven to eight hours of non-essential analysis and overpriced TV commercials, but we'll get to the game around 530. Uh, we'll deliver my prediction on this game in my Scott Sots segment later in this pod. It's a big weekend for the Missouri State basketball Bears and Lady Bears. The Bears are suddenly hot again, taking an impressive four-game win streak into a midweek game at Northern Iowa uh, as we're taping this podcast. They're trying to stay in the thick of things in the uh, Valley Conference standings. Kind of in the middle of the pack right now. They've played their way back in there, and they're trying to avoid the play-in round of Arch Madness in St. Louis uh, early next month. Dana Ford's Bears are 14-9 and overall going into that Northern Iowa game, 6-6 six and six in the Valley, and uh, conference frontrunner Indiana State comes into Springfield on Saturday for a visit to Great Southern Bank Arena and a 1 p.m. tip-off. That'll be a great matchup and a great test for these Bears, uh, the way they've been playing. It's a very good uh, Sycamores team already with 20 wins, and, and really a good shot at being an at-large invite to March Madness if they don't win the Valley Tournament and get the automatic entry. Also, a huge weekend at home for the Lady Bears as two teams at or near the top of the Valley standings, Belmont and Murray State, visit the vault this weekend. Friday night, it's Belmont coming in. They're 16-5 and overall, tied at the top of the league standings with Drake at 9-1. and They were an 11-point winner over the Lady Bears back on January 26th when uh, Missouri State lost on the road on the same swing of Belmont and Missouri and excuse me Murray State. Murray State will bring records of 13 and 6 and 6 and 4 into their Friday night matchup at SIU before they come to town on Sunday a 2 o'clock tip on Super Bowl Sunday. Coach Beth Cunningham's Lady Bears are 14 and 5 overall, 8 and 2 in the Valley and a perfect 10 and 0 at home this season. That last number will receive a stiff test with Friday night's visit from Belmont in particular. Around the Ozark Sports Scene, brought to you by Fast Break Sports, the largest selection of cards and card supplies in southwest Missouri. Our special guest this week on Around the Ozark Sports Scene is Dr. Heath Malusian, of course, a former Missouri State and Kickapoo soccer standout, All-American at Missouri State, who chose to go into a sports orthopedics and medicine. He is now Dr. Malusian at uh, Cox Hospitals. Heath, thanks for joining me. Yeah, it's great to be with you, man. It's it's been uh, really cool to see what you've done with this podcast. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. And, and of course, my first question is: athlete all your life, uh, what made you want to go into this field and take care of athletes and, and everybody else? Yeah. So you know, um, that's exactly right. I mean, I would say the first half of my life to this point was absolutely focused on athletics. Um, whenever I got close to college. You know, I was around some local orthopedic surgeons, one of them who happens to be my partner now, Pierre Clodio, and I, I developed an interest in medicine, and I saw that these orthopedic surgeons got the opportunity to work with athletes 
when I got to Missouri State, um, you know, I was further around those athletes and those doctors that were taking care of myself and my teammates. And, you know, it, it, the, the interest grew, and luckily I've been able to pursue that. And, of course, uh, after Missouri State, went to KU for your uh, – you're a post-graduate and uh, number one in your class there. Are you a Jayhawks fan uh, because of that time or not? You know, so I was born in Kansas, um, and a lot of my family is from Kansas. We kind of grew up Jayhawks fans. My younger sister played soccer at KU yeah. for uh, five years. So I, so I am a Jayhawks fan. It was a good game last night between KU and K-State. And you've got basketball. It wasn't, wasn't good for us, but yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah absolutely. That rivalry special, too. Went on from uh, Kansas uh, to the Mayo Clinic and uh, then also uh, out in Vail, Colorado at the Stedman Clinic. Two pretty prestigious places to learn and practice your craft before you got uh, after it full-time back in Springfield. Uh, that's exactly right. So I, I felt very blessed to go to first Mayo Clinic. And when I was there, I got to take care of you know, some of the best athletes in the world. We uh, helped take care of the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Minnesota Twins. And, um, you know, within orthopedic surgery, there's there's multiple different specialties you can go into. And I looked at some of those other specialties, including spine or hand surgery. But ultimately, um, I, I really enjoyed being around the athletes. So ultimately decided to go and specialize in sports medicine which then I got the opportunity to go out to Stedman Clinic in Vail, Colorado, and specifically focus a year doing what's called sports medicine-type surgery, which um, typically involves minimally invasive-type surgery um, with arthroscopies, so tiny poke holes or reconstructing ligaments. And again, out there, got to take care of world-class athletes, uh, which is a great experience. We're going to talk a lot about athletes and specifically youth sports here uh, over the next few minutes, but I, I like your bio says you specialize in shoulders, hips, knees, and elbows. Uh, as a 60-year-old man, I know these are the things on a body that start hurting about this time. So any tips for older right. folks like uh, like me to, to maybe avoid uh, those um, pitfalls of the pain that come with those areas? Well, you know, the biggest thing for all of us as we age is to keep up our core strength. So if you can do, you know, obviously starts with the, starts with the heart and cardio, but also you got to keep your core strong. You know, as we, as we age, the lower back really can become an issue for a lot of people. So keeping the core strong, keeping the weight down are the biggest things that are going to help prevent progression of, for example, arthritis, whether it be in your knees or your hips or your shoulders, and um, just kind of prevent some of those ailing issues that, you know, unfortunately plague us all as we, as we age. What's the most common among the older patients you, you uh, see in terms of, of reconstructive surgeries? Is it which one of those joints or areas do you do most of? Well, when you're talking about arthritis, the most common um, area of arthritis that we do surgery for is definitely within the knees. Mm-hmm. So we know that uh, the knees essentially take about four times force of your body weight. So, you know, obesity is an issue, um, obviously, all around the world, certainly certainly where we live. And 
the knees really, you know, do work overtime to, to carry the body weight. So we see a lot of knee osteoarthritis. And ultimately, when it gets to a certain stage, a knee replacement is really our only option. When we talk about kind of sports medicine type surgery, where we're fixing things within our body that, that fail, one very common injury that we see in um, older individuals is a rotator cuff tear. So in the shoulder, you have four rotator cuff muscles, and it's very common if someone happens to fall, for example, that recent ice storm we had, try to catch themselves, they can tear one of their rotator cuff muscles in their shoulder, and, and I find that I do a lot of surgery fixing those. Or uh, or golf, you know, guys that have played golf for 30, 40 years, those things, when they get in their 60, late 60s, 70s, they get a little more tender and fragile too, don't they? Uh, that's exactly right. So we have, you know, I take care of a lot of, um, you know, local golfers, and and things I see with them oftentimes – Again, shoulder issues. So it might be a labral tear or some bicep tendinitis or, again, a rotator cuff tear. Or at the elbow, um, a common issue is golfer's elbow, which um, is related to pain on the inside part of your elbow, or tennis elbow, which is on the outside um, part of the elbow. Well, let's talk uh, youth sports and some of the, you know, this is great for me, a guy that's been around sports, writing about it or talking about it for about 40 years to have a sports doc on with me and be able to just fire questions away that I've always wondered whether I'm sitting at home watching TV or at a game and, and see something happen. And I think one of the hot topics now with youth sports, uh, as a dad who's had four of them go through it, you see a lot of specialization now. You know, kids playing one sport year-round instead of the, the multi-sport athlete that maybe plays football in the fall, basketball in the winter, baseball, and or runs track in the spring, soccer, mixed in uh, in all those seasons what what are your thoughts on specialization and, and what you see happening with youth sports in that regard well definitely what i see is there's such a pressure for these young athletes to focus on a certain sport much earlier than i feel like i have the pressure to do whenever i was going through it and and your your kids of course scott as well and you know i think without a doubt there are some concerns with that now i think it a little bit depends on the sport. You know, in general, you hear a lot of physicians and people out there saying sports specialization is a problem. In my mind, I think it really has to do with certain sports. For, you know, and, and one we talk about a lot with this is baseball. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I, I'm not sure it's really baseball that's the problem. For example, if you specialize as an outfielder, I think that's less of an issue for an athlete who is specializing in baseball and is a pitcher because really what we worry about is just the repetitive movements that are placed on the body that you're doing over and over and over. Um, but without a doubt, I mean, if you look at, you know, most of the best athletes we have and you learn a little bit about their upbringing, most of them played multiple sports, you know, until they get, they got closer to that college age. And I think that that is, is certainly the most advisable. But, you know, there's major pressure on these kids, um, you know, at an early age to to really focus on one sport, which, you know, is something we have to consider. And that's coming from the parents largely because they're thinking, well, if if little, our little Johnny's not doing it and Tommy's playing baseball or practicing year-round, we're falling behind, is it not? 
Oh, it's, it absolutely is. And, and, you know, as a, as a parent of young kids, you know, I, I understand where the parents are coming from and, you know, it's, it's definitely a balance, but I think if we can more and more just tell, tell parents that, you know, there are issues not only with physical injuries, but, you know, there's a mental aspect to it too. And I think I see it in a lot of athletes that take care of that. You can tell they're just burnt out on their craft and, you know, playing different sports in different seasons does help prevent that. You know, there's a lot of information out there now, a lot more than there was 10 years ago about overuse. And, and it seems like youth baseball is trying to do a better job with pitch count, you know, mandates and, and you know, things of that nature. And, and of course, breaking balls and the stress that it puts on an elbow. Your thoughts on that? Uh, what's a too young of an age to start messing around with a curveball? Yeah, you know, the curveball is an interesting debate because, you know, a lot of us think, you know, whenever you're trying to throw a breaking ball, it would seem as though you're putting more stress on the elbow. The interesting thing, Scott, we did a study when I was at Mayo Clinic, and um, it doesn't, that's not necessarily the case. So actually, a young athlete throwing a fastball puts more stress on the medial side of the elbow, which is where the UCL is which we hear about Tommy John injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also, uh, you know, a faction out there that, that really thinks we should avoid, you know, those breaking balls in young athletes. So it's still a little bit up for debate. But I think when it really comes down to it, it's really all about pitch count. And I think we have to just control how many, uh, you know, pitches these young athletes, these athletes are throwing and, you know, it's, it's easy to find, obviously. I think Major League Baseball on their website has kind of the recommended pitch count for these athletes. The other thing to consider is, you know, if you, we, there was actually a study done which looked at pitchers who also catch. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people think, you know, okay, we're going to control the pitch count. And, you know, a lot of times in youth, the best athletes are pitching, of course, because they're bigger and stronger. And then whenever they take their break from or they hit their pitch count mark, they go to catcher. But the problem is, as a catcher, you're still throwing the the ball back to the pitcher each time as well. So that's something that we have to consider at the youth level. And either that or they're going to play shortstop where they've got that deep throw in the hole where, where most balls are hit, you know, and stuff to the shortstop. Exactly. Um, so wasn't there an old school thought uh, that the more you throw, the stronger your arm gets? That kind of defeats that whole premise, uh, doesn't it? You know, it really does. I mean, as with most things in life, we, we tend to think the more you do, the stronger you're going to get and the faster you're going to throw or the stronger you're going to be. Uh, the problem is what we see in a, a lot of these young pitchers. And like you said, I think the awareness is getting better on this, but the data would suggest that we're not necessarily getting better at it. So the injuries are continuing to go up. But well, the problem is when uh, these young pitchers pitch a lot, they start having a little bit of pain in their elbow. And it's, again, with the mantra that I grew up with, you push through the pain. And most, you know, most of these young athletes want to push through the pain or they aren't telling their parents or they tell their parents and the parents are telling them, that, well, you can get through that. And then they have an injury that really sets them back. 
And with these young athletes, having um, some of these elbow issues early on truly can end the career that they maybe could have had if they just took it a little bit slower. And by the flip side of that, too, and it's pretty alarming, I think, is that you know, you'll know you see a pitcher that has Tommy John surgery and comes back, the proverbial air quote, stronger than ever. And I just wonder if yeah. there, if there's a line of thought out there with some of the, the you know more aggressive baseball dads that, well, let's get it out of the way and we'll come back and we'll be fine. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. Some of the guys I trained under who were – kind of first around whenever Frank Job uh, developed kind of the Tommy John surgery. And, of course, Tommy John was the pitcher at that time who came back and, and really came back stronger, throwing harder. And there were many professional pitchers who were going to their doctor, did not have an injury, but were requesting a Tommy John reconstruction because they've seen how other athletes came back stronger and faster. And I think that... You know, certainly sometimes that can be the case, but with all surgery and especially this type of surgery, you know, there's a certain percentage that that is not the case and they don't get back. And, you know, that risk is not one that we would recommend taking um, without a doubt. And I think there's also, you know, it's different having that surgery as an adult or a college baseball player than it is having it, you know, as an early teen. You know, one of the things that amazes me, and, and I think back to what you do with older adults, I know my mom had hip surgery uh, years ago before her passing and, you know, probably 20, 25 years, and the recovery was just long and pretty brutal. And then, you know, my mother-in-law had it, and she was up like the next day, you know, and, and just the right. technology and the way we can recover now. And, and I think back, you know, or think now to football injuries and, and uh, Tommy John surgeries and things like that. Now, I know the professional athletes want to push the limit. I mean, Brett Favre – excuse me, Brett Favre. Whoops, he wouldn't like that. Aaron Rodgers with the uh, torn Achilles and trying to come back right. so quickly and stuff. Has technology helped speed up the recovery process pretty much across the board? You know, it really has. There's, As with all things, you know, that we're blessed with in, living in the United States is innovation. And we work within orthopedics very closely with – uh, these companies that develop new devices help us discover new ways to do surgery. And without a doubt, we saw it with Aaron Rodgers. Some of the new ways we have to repair, for example, an Achilles tendon rupture, um, do, do allow us to kind of ramp up the process and get, get athletes back faster. We've seen that significantly for example, with Tommy John type surgery, mm-hmm. um, there's a company called Arthrex who uh, developed this um, device, which is really high strength suture, and we call it an internal brace, which we use in the elbow. That honestly, we can get athletes back um, much, much quicker. Yeah, because that uh, used to be like a year and a half, injured. didn't it? At one point, that's exactly right. Yeah, and then you saw Bryce Hart. You saw Bryce Harper this past year return in about six months. Yeah, where we did a UCL repair with an internal brace, and I've done that um, for some local athletes that have gotten back back much quicker than, for example, with a, a reconstruction, a year long process. And you know, the reality is, Aaron Rodgers was never going to get back this season. Mm-hmm. But he, even the fact that he could 
could have potentially, you know, worked towards that goal is an example of innovation. But, but, you know, I think, I think what they were kind of pushing this year was a little unrealistic, which, you know, we ultimately saw in the end. Yeah. I just, you know, I watched Kyler Murray uh, come back from his Achilles and, run around like the Kyler Murray of old, and it's just amazing. You know, the guy was out with a torn yeah. Achilles and, and back the next season doing the same thing. So right. it's pretty pretty remarkable. Next question. Um, get this a lot. What is too young to start lifting weights for young athletes? That's a good question. You know, <clears throat> if we – I guess what I would say kind of as I look at it with my kids, you know – no athlete is the same. No kid is the same. So I think it depends a little bit. What we have to avoid is the obsession with kind of maxing out and pushing, you know, these bodies to the max. It really goes back to the same thing we just talked about with sports specialization. What we want to avoid with these athletes is repetitive stress over and over on certain parts of their body. So I really like the idea, and I recommend to a lot of young athletes is just do body weight type things, you know, at least until you're in your teens, um, push ups, sit ups. There's so much we can do, uh, without having to get necessarily in the gym and throwing around a bunch of weights. But I much prefer at a younger age, high repetition, low weight. And then as we get older, we can start pushing that weight a little bit more. And I think that's why, you know, places like Redline Athletics, you know, the train youth like that are, are becoming more popular because it's people that know this and, and preach this, correct, when, when kids go out there? that's exa- Well, that's correct. And, Scott, you asked me earlier about injury prevention in older individuals. It's the same thing for kids. As you're learning how to do new exercises, you have to learn correct form and the correct way to do it in order to get stronger and prevent injury. So Redline's done a fantastic job with it. Um, all kinds of gyms in town, as, as anyone, whether it be a young individual or an older individual, wants to get in shape and get back in the gym, you got to learn the right way to do things first. Tell me why are ACL uh, injuries more prevalent with young ladies than they are with, with men, seemingly? Uh, well, it's, it's, it's much more common in females. Um, and so, uh, Mayo Clinic did a study looking at female soccer players and it was, it was kind of an astounding number, but after a female soccer player has had a torn ACL, their risk of re-injury to that knee or injury to the other knee is 34%, which is an extremely high number. Um, there was some thought over time that it had to do with hormonal differences, uh, between males and females. That's been a little bit debunked. It has more to do with something we call the Q angle. So that is, if you take an angle going from your hips down to your kneecap, down to your ankle, females tend to have a little more of a valgus angle there, meaning they're a little bit more knock-kneed. And that is really the mechanism for a torn ACL. A lot of times it has to do with an athlete who jumps up, lands a little bit knock-kneed, they go into a valgus moment and a little bit of what we call a pivot shift, and then their ACL ruptures. So a major piece to preventing ACL injuries in female athletes is teaching them to land 
not knock kneed, so meaning their knees closer together, but more straight on. And and there's been some really good data to suggest that teaching young female athletes to land appropriately, strengthening their glutes, um, quads, and hamstrings can really prevent ACL injuries. When I see um, you know high school football game and, and I see Jackson Cantwell at Nixon, who's just got a phenomenal future ahead of him at six eight, three hundred right. pounds, and number one recruit in the country in twenty six. He's got knee braces on, and so do other linemen before they've had an injury. Do those help? Well, so what they help with, Scott, is MCL injuries. So those functional knee knee braces, the data is pretty clear that they do help prevent in linemen um, an injury to the medial collateral ligament. There's been no data to suggest that they prevent an ACL injury, but I think they can give some of these athletes more confidence um, when they're wearing it and feel a little safer. So there may be a mental aspect to it, but they've definitely been shown to help prevent um, injury to the MCL. When you watch a, a pro football game or a college game and you see the guys with their pants now that basically look like shorts, you know, they're they're finishing above the knee. Does that make you wonder, did the knee pads ever really help anyway with the guys that like us that used to wear the longer pants when we played? I think most likely not. They may have prevented a skinned knee. But you know, a lot of a lot of those a lot of those things probably didn't really you know help too much. And um, you know, there's a lot of things we do uh, we've seen all through through COVID and everything else that sometimes it seems like a good idea, but when we really look at the data, maybe you know it's not helping as much. Another football question, equipment wise, we see these helmets now with the padding on the outside. It looks like, and I know there's some high schools locally that are using them. Um, you know, a lot of attention paid to concussions and, and concussion protocol. Do those helmets help? Yeah, I think there's been pretty good data around it. There's actually some decent – have you seen the um, the kind of neck uh, necklaces that some of the athletes are wearing? Yeah, yeah. Um, that, yeah, and there's actually some de- decent data around those as well. I think I, I saw one practice where Christian McCaffrey was actually wearing it. And what they can do, what those are thought to do is actually increase pressure within the skull and the brain to where there's less room for that for the brain to kind of move around or, or shake, which ultimately causes a concussion. You know, I think that's one of the biggest problems that, you know, whenever I was growing up and playing athletics, we just, again, we just played through concussion-type symptoms, but... Luckily, there's there's much more of an awareness around that, and I think we've we've made some great strides in in that arena. So, when you sit down and watch a football game with your dad Phil or your wife Kelsey or anybody, do you watch the game differently than than other fans? I mean, if somebody gets hit, are you saying, "Ooh, that's a concussion," or "Ooh, that's an ACL"? I mean, can you spot things, or are you thinking like a fan or a doctor? You know, when I'm watching the Chiefs, I'm thinking like a fan. Um, <laughs> other games, we, yeah, without a doubt, you know, you're always watching those types of things. And, um, you know, I, I believe it was here recently, one of the the Lions, I believe, tight ends got, had a bad knee injury. And, and you just look at the mechanism for, for how their knee got injured and the angle with which it went. And, you know, we do spend time, you know, trying to predict – what what injury did they have? I 
when I was out at Stedman Clinic, I trained under Matt Preventure. He used to be the uh, team physician for the Patriots when they won all their Super Bowls. And now kind of helps out with some analysis for Fox Sports. And when I was out there, we spent a lot of time kind of reviewing some of the uh, injuries that occurred over the weekend and and kind of making an educated guess as to what they're actually dealing with. Are you a fantasy football player? You know, I was a terrible fantasy football player. <laughs> I uh, I did it a little bit um, kind of through college and, and residency, but, you know, I, I was the guy, unfortunately, that forgot to put in a kicker when uh, <laughs> that team had a bye week, so... I don't do it anymore. Um, lost too much money doing it, Scott. Well, the reason I ask is I'm in a league with a, a guy that may be a car dealer in town that you might have fixed a knee recently. And okay. if, if you're supplying information to him in our league on this guy's only going to be gone for a couple weeks instead of six, and that that's illegal, and we don't want that to happen, okay? Uh, uh-oh, uh-oh. I think I might know who you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Um, talking about football injuries, how in the world – did Patrick Mahomes play a week later with a high ankle sprain? Because we've been trained in the, the fan world and the fantasy world that you hear high ankle sprain, it's you know three to six weeks probably minimum. How did Mahomes do that? Well, how does he do anything he does, Scott? You know, we see it with uh, so many of these, these just elite athletes. Their bodies are just different. Now, for him, the reality is he was playing through pain. There's no doubt. There's no way he was 100% when he's out there. Now, I do think for him, he got something called a PRP or platelet-rich plasma injection, which um, we do for a lot of athletes. And potentially, so essentially what that does is we draw the blood from the patient. It's spun down in a centrifuge to a, um, a high percentage of platelets, which have something called platelet-derived growth factor. And then we inject that back into an area of injury, and there's some data to suggest that it can um, increase and speed up healing. And he, he had that, as my understanding, which potentially helped. Past that, he was probably taking anti-inflammatories, and he probably paid for it the next day. But he, he's a competitor. He's an athlete. And you're right. I mean, most of the time, those high ankle sprains, I mean – it's, it takes six weeks to heal from that. Wow. So, you know, if a mom comes to you, she's heard all the stories, she's seen the replays and all that, and says, I don't want my young son to play football. It's too dangerous. What is your response? Well, in general, what I say is, you're right, it's dangerous. Um, and... In my mind, I don't really think there's any point for these young athletes to be tackling, you know, before the age of 12. Um, and, you know, even even at 13, 14, I think you have to ask yourself, you know, what's the risk-benefit to that? You know, I think there's a big push <clears throat> in uh, flag football, and I think that that's, that's a great alternative. But there's... There's no doubt that the risk of injury in football and tackle football is extremely high, but I still think it's a great sport, and I think that if we can continue to find ways to make it safer, delay 
contact, tackle football until um, these young athletes are more mature. And, I, you know, I think it's, it's a great American sport and uh, will continue to be very popular. But there's no doubt I see it just in our town of Springfield. There's more and more athletes and parents pushing their kids to play a sport like soccer, or especially early on, rather than um, playing football early on. Is football more dangerous than soccer? You know, I think there's more catastrophic type injuries. Mm-hmm. Now, if you just look at injuries across the board, soccer has a lot of injuries. But there's more major injuries in football. And I think the micro, so tackle football, the micro trauma to the brain at an early age, I, in my opinion, isn't worth it. You know, I spent a lot of time, you know, covering sports like soccer. In my time at Dury, I watched a lot of college soccer. And I just wondered, you know, when the, the goalkeeper kicks it 60 yards and in the air and somebody heads it, you know, back, which is mm-hmm. a natural thing doing soccer, is that not doing any damage? Well, I think there's, there's certainly risk within it. The interesting thing is we, we don't see many concussions from that, Scott. Wow. But what, we do see, but what we do see concussions from is two athletes going up for a header mm-hmm. and then their heads colliding. So for some reason, you know, when an athlete expects to take, to, you know, do a header, um, I think there's an aspect of the body kind of preparing for that. Um, kind of bracing. Not th- yeah. Kind of bracing. The ball's not that hard. And, you know, there, when I was growing up, there was kind of a push to wear these kind of protective head wraps for heading the ball. But really, the data didn't suggest that those um, increased safety at all. But when a soccer player gets hit in the head by another player because they're both going after the ball, it's an unexpected trauma, and uh, a lot of concussions happen that way. You're young in your career, obviously, uh, back here in Springfield, and, and um, what do you foresee the next five, ten years of youth sports injuries, kind of uh, things that you'll deal with more often than not, uh, seeing the current landscape of, of youth sports? Yeah, so um, – you know, the big, obviously we've talked about baseball. I think we're trying to increase the awareness and decrease injuries related to overuse. So hopefully we continue to see these Tommy John type injuries, little league elbow, little league shoulder to decrease. We talked about ACL injuries in female athletes. The hope is that with some of these prevention strategies, we see less and less of those. But You know, with all these things, I hope that we continue to have kids who are active, playing real sports and and not esports, Scott, which is is a new thing that uh, I'm becoming aware of. But it's it's without a doubt there's risk to playing sports. But I think when you look at the overall picture, it's better for young individuals to be active, staying in shape, and getting out there. We just – hopefully continue to learn more about ways we can prevent injury. Yeah, I, th- I see a line of carpal tunnel injuries coming on the eSports side, you know, with younger and younger. Yeah. <laughs> but, it's uh, funny. I, uh, yeah, we take care of uh, the jury, jury Panthers, as you know, and, uh-huh. and they actually now have eSport athletes, and uh, we do physicals on those athletes. And, 
And, uh, you know, there, I think there's, there's going to be a lot more of those over the next five, ten years. Well, good stuff. Uh, fascinating stuff, Heath. Uh, always enjoy catching up with you. Hopefully we can do it again. I'll tell you what we've got to do, though is if there's a procedure for uh, Dr. Frank Job, you know, named after Tommy John, Dr. James Andrews, we got to figure out what the Malugin is, the procedure. So next time I have you on, I want an answer on that, okay? Well, well, we'll, we'll work on it, Scott, and uh, I'll, I'll let you know. I'm not sure I'll ever achieve that status, but, but uh, we'll work on it. Very good. Well, I know you're on your way there. And so, uh, Heath, thanks for your time. All right. Thank you, Scott. You betcha. Dr. Heath Malusian at Cox uh, Hospitals, uh, our new uh, resident expert on sports injuries, and he is our sports doc. Thanks for joining us. Time for our weekly Scott's Thoughts, my uh, musings and ramblings about the world of sports locally, regionally, and nationally. We start off with uh, good news for the Kansas City Royals and their fans. They sign uh, Bobby Witt, their young superstar shortstop, to a $288 million uh, deal over 11 years on that contract, potential for even more years on that. Good move by the Royals, because if ever there was another potential George Brett type for their fans to follow, it's this kid, Witt Jr., or Jr., as they call him on all the uh, broadcasts and telecasts. Kudos to the Royals for spending some money and giving their fans a bright young star to rally behind for at least the next seven years before his contract allows for an escape clause the next four seasons after that. With a new stadium downtown, a possibility, probably a likelihood, and some good young talent around Witt, Maybe we'll witness a resurgence in the Royals the next few years. What a mess Coach Muss has created with Arkansas Hoops down in Fayetteville this winter. It's easily his worst season at the U of A with a group that lacks chemistry and at times lacks any sense of motivation. That's what you get occasionally when you transfer to uh, portal, uh, dive, deep dive into the portal and take those gambles. Don't know what you're going to get. This time you got a lot of individual talent that just seemed to not find a way to play together. And now they've allowed senior guard Devo Davis back on the team for a second straight year after taking a two-week break for undisclosed reasons. Uh, He'll be back with his unpredictable, out-of-control style of play for a team that really doesn't need that right now, but hopefully maybe a little senior leadership and maybe his emotional play will rally those guys down the stretch here. Uh, Their only chance for a a return trip to the big dance uh, is uh, winning the SEC tournament and uh, getting on a roll here late. If, he, uh, if Musselman can pull that off, it's one of his best coaching jobs ever. Um, Arkansas sitting there with two league wins, one of those over hapless Mizzou at the same time as well. Uh, this is from a team that showed so much promise in the preseason with a win over Purdue and then a late November home win over Duke. Things went awry, and we'll see if the Hogs can pull that back together. Finally, my Chiefs prediction, Kansas City wins a thriller 27-21 with a late interception of Brock Purdy to kill a Niners potential game-winning drive in the closing minutes. It's only fitting that a very solid KC defense that literally kept them in playoff contention all season comes up with the big play in the end. Biggest shocker of all, Travis Kelsey proposes to Taylor Swift in the post-game celebration and then announces that he will join brother Jason Kelsey in retirement. The TV color commentator offers start flowing in on Monday for Travis Kelsey. Be sure to visit our great sponsor, Fast Break Sports, on South Camel and the Burger King this week to enter their raffle drawing for an autographed and framed Rashi Rice jersey that they'll give away at 5 p.m. on Sunday. There's no purchase necessary, and you don't have to be present to win because the guys at Fast Break realize that you're going to be knee-deep in wings and cheese dip at 5 p.m. on Sunday. Also remember that if you don't want to hear the national TV talking heads drone on Sunday night, 
turn the TV volume down, and listen to the Chiefs broadcast on 104.7 The Cave, just like you can do all season and every season. That's going to do it for Around the Ozark Sports Scene this week. Be sure to download the ATO app to listen to all the great local podcast offerings so you don't miss a thing when it comes to news and entertainment in the Ozarks. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.